Well, I want to welcome everyone to today's topic and discussion. I have a very special guest, uh, Bill Molden. He is um, incredible and a great friend of mine, especially in the last year or so. He has been someone who I have really looked up to, and he's been in the ministry for almost 30 years, has ministry experience in youth and family, campus, singles, marrieds. He's led a church planting. He's led in various places, San Diego, Chicago, Albuquerque, California. He currently serves in uh, St. Louis as a teacher and specializes in biblical backgrounds, which is so needed. Um, he received his Master's of Divinity and Doctorate of Ministry from Trinity Southwest University. And uh, he, he and his wife, Kristen, they have three daughters. Bill, welcome to the channel, brother. Bro, thanks so much for having me. I mean, and uh, boy, what a great show you've really put together. Uh, to be included with so many distinguished former panelists, uh, <laughs> man, it's awesome. But I also think, uh, Kyle, you're doing such an important work here in bringing your expertise to, to uh, people that really need to hear that there is a lot more that's going on underneath the surface, uh, especially as we start to wrestle with how has our past, you know, kind of affected our present? And uh, I appreciate you. It's been a, one of the greatest joys is to get to know you and and uh, uh, the whole gang here in the heartland. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I first found that you were coming here, I can't remember if I, no, actually, I, I so I knew of you when I started at Rocky Mountain, you did an Old Testament class and I was blown away. I remember uh, it was the prophets, I believe. Yeah. And we were talking about the Nevi'im and, um, and you were just breaking it down. And, and, and I was like, this dude's like part preacher though. Like he's teaching, but he can preach his rear end off. And I, and then I found out you were coming to, to the region. I was just like, oh, this is, and then just over the last year or so, man, you have just become an incredible ally and resource for me. So you're an incredible blessing, bro. I'm glad to have you on. Um, Amen. First of all, let's get into your conversion and why you went into the ministry. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I was converted in 1991 uh, at the Tucson City Church Christ. Um, it was a uh, reconstruction church. And I was, uh, you know, within that first year, one of the campus baptisms, I was 19 at the time and just pulled right out of the fire of the midst of my sin. Um, you know, it was one of those things that even at that age, uh, I had worked myself into such a place that I knew that there, if there's not more to life than what I had been living, I just didn't want any more part of it. Mm -hmm. And then of course, uh, a few weeks after I said that prayer, I, you know, kind of prayed to the ceiling, not knowing if there was even a God there. Wow. Uh, even though I grew up in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, you know, you just kind of go, okay, I'm just going to try, I'm throwing a Hail Mary pass here. Uh, and, uh, just prayed a prayer. And then of course I got met, you know, you know how it is. Uh, a couple of guys walked in, invited me to study the Bible. Uh, I was an English major and I thought, well, that's a major work of literature I've never read. Uh, <laughs> you know, grew up around it and actually never read it. And so I agreed and, uh, studied the Bible, uh, became a disciple in 91, went into, uh, the, uh, the campus ministry as a, as a, uh, you know, kind of got hired as an intern, then became a campus minister for a number of years uh, before uh, I got a chance to go out and help plan a church uh, in Bakersfield, California. Um, and so, you know, for me, you know, uh, full-time ministry was, uh, you know, just one of those things where I, 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 my desire was, I just want to make a difference. You know, the thing that uh, that appealed to me so much when I studied the Bible was as we follow Jesus's plan by one man walking with another, then they reach out, they reach, you know, they they tell one and then those two tell one, then those four tell one, you know, as as I just saw it, I was like, this is the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, this this is the moment, I, you know, because I wanted to do something to make the world better. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, kind of growing up listening to all that rebel rock and you two and the alarm and then you <laughs> have the 
you have this growing hip hop scene that's showing all this injustice that's happening in my own backyard. You know, I was like, I'm going to be an activist. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to do this. And then someone goes, have you ever thought about being a disciple? And I was like, oh, that's everything in one. And, <laughs> you know, and so to me, it was like the perfect invitation. And then the fact that someone would, would actually allow me to do that full time. I mean, come on. And so, you know, it was funny because both my wife and I were just so caught up. We, you know, like her goal was to go to Russia or to Mexico. My goal was to, uh, coming up out of the water, I wanted to go to the Middle East. I was like, my goal in life was to die as a martyr before 35. And so <laughs> I, I wanted to be a part of the Middle East planting. And so we're kind of putting our names out there. You know, this is, uh, 92 93 and uh our names got tapped for bakersfield california you know uh and so we went there uh really to be the kind of the right hands to the to the couple but we ended up leading that church of singles uh and uh then we you know kind of was like two or better than one and she was the hottest thing i had ever seen and she, <laughs> i was I was just so blown away at God's grace in my life. And so we got married and then we've just been, we've just kind of been on this trajectory of just trying to do everything we can uh, to kind of make that difference. And I think uh, that that passion is even what uh, uh, led us as we were church leaders, we were appointed evangelists, I think in 96, uh, evangelists and women's ministry leader. Um, and, uh, you know, we got a got a chance to uh, kind of lead the church in Albuquerque uh, through all of its its height of its growth, through the tough time uh, as it had to kind of wrestle with its identity, as we all did in uh, nine, uh, 2002 or 2003, uh, and then got a chance to lead it back to some sort of form of health. Uh, and uh, before we got the call to go to Chicago, and so ministry is pretty much what we've known from the very early on in our Christianity. And so we're very fortunate that God has blessed us with the opportunity to have served for as long as we have. Tell us just a little bit, give us 10,000 foot view about your dissertation. Let's start there. Yeah. My, my dissertation was entitled the pattern of discipleship because I think as far as great how to books, uh, both in our movement and outside of our movement. There are, there are fantastic works that could work you through a handbook that would teach you how to have a great little D time and things like that. But to, to miss out on the larger pattern, that the thing that, that I love is, that, uh, is uh, you know, Jesus shares that, uh, you know, I can only do what I see my father doing in John 5. You know, I love that. That means that what Jesus did as he came to earth, as he, you know, kind of waited till the ripe old age of 30, when he would absolutely be seen as a full-fledged contributing member uh, to society, he then starts his public ministry. And the first thing he does is call men to follow. And for him to say that I, I'm doing what I see my father doing indicates that this pattern of calling men, of walking with them, making them into something that they weren't when they were first called, has always been how God has chosen to walk with man. Mm -hmm. And and if we can grab hold of the larger pattern, we could have more security uh, into the process of what we're trying to do. We could also know what targets we're actually trying to hit. Um, you know, and I think, and I think as we do that sort of thing, it really kind of does purify, uh, kind of what our aims are. You know, uh, when we understand that when Jesus gave the Great Commission, uh, according to Matthew, that he was actually speaking some to something that that crowd, that 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 group of of either twelve or one hundred and twenty, depend on how you you interpret that. Um, he he was speaking to something that they fully understood. You know, they didn't understand him as a resurrected Messiah. That was still kind of, they were still trying to work that out. <laughs> they didn't have a bag to put that in, uh, in their theology. But So what Jesus does is says, guys, all authority has been given to me. Just go with what you know how to do. Go make disciples. 
You know, he was literally just kind of giving them something that was tangible, that was real, that was culturally informed. And my dissertation was just an attempt to unpack that a little bit for us because we don't have as much of a confusion about the person of Jesus like they did. They didn't know what to do with him as, a, as the person of the Messiah who has been resurrected from the dead. That's not how they expected the Messiah to go down at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they, could, they didn't know what to do with the person of Jesus, but they knew the process. And so Jesus just informs them to trust the process. We are very comfortable with the person of Jesus, but we don't know what to do with the process. So it's almost like our challenge is inverted. Well, I've never heard that before. That's incredible. Keep going. And so, and so my hope is, you know, with my dissertation was to try to spell out the larger pattern. And I, and I think what, you know, kind of the, the, the high points is that I think for a while we forgot that discipleship is always meant to be an apprenticeship into that develops into a partnership. You know, even rabbinic disciples walked with, uh, walked with their teacher, you know, let's say from 15 to 30, but then at 30, they were kind of to be elevated up to an equal share in their school of thought. You know, that, uh, you know, Peter, uh, Peter and John were found in their fishing boats. You know, James and John, or uh, Peter and Andrew, excuse were found in, his, in their fishing boats. But James and John were with their father in the boats. You know, which kind of gives you an indication that these guys didn't quite cut it in Pharisee school, which is, <laughs> you know. But they, they, you know, Peter was someone who had been apprenticed in fishing. He was mature enough to have his own boat. Meanwhile, James and John were still young enough to need to be in the boat with their father being apprenticed. But then when Peter makes that miraculous catch, it's interesting how Luke records it. He says he calls out to his partners, come help me. So we have this language built into their understanding of discipleship that there is a time for apprenticeship. But then there's also a time that it matures into partnership. And I think in our, in our model of what we had in the past, we didn't have that handoff where someone goes from being an apprentice to being a partner. And I think without that language, it really stunted our maturity. Uh, it, it made us very man dependent uh, instead of just kind of letting, you know, we can, we can walk with each other up to a point, but at some point... We're, we're, we're equals. We, you need to be in your own boat. You know, I need to be in my boat, you know, you know, I'll, I'll be Peter and Andrew. You're done, you know, being trained. Dad goes and gets his own boat. You know, James and John have a boat. Dad has another boat. Zebedee's boats over there. James and John right here. We're, you know, that's how it was designed. That's how you grew your business in the first century. Um, and so we're, we're actually given a quite a clear window in my opinion, that when we have, when we add this to the pattern, that they would have understood. Uh, We do have this need of people being willing to lay down their life for someone else's cause. Mm. I lay down my life to help train this new convert into the components of faith, give them everything that I've learned to, to be able to stand on their own and make disciples themselves. And then when they're at that point, I treat them like a partner. Uh, Because it's interesting that even in the language of the New Testament, you know, we know that the word disciple is used 295 times, but it's only used in the Gospels in the book of Acts. And I think that's on purpose. Hmm. The Gospels in the book of Acts were meant to train and to inform and to teach. We are following Jesus after all. So the language of disciple is actually central in all the texts that teach us how to be a disciple. But then all of Paul's epistles introduce us to the language of partnership because he calls people his fellow co-workers, his his companions. It's a strong, strong language of partnership. Even when he has to drill down on some things they had wrong, he still has a strong partnership language. Uh, Then, of course, you hear it in the book of Hebrews, uh, you know, when he goes, you know, hey, you know, we, you know, if we don't, 
you know, I don't want to have to lay down these elementary teachings again, but if I do, I will, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so yeah, so I, I think there's a strong, there's a strong expectation built into the actual fabric of our new Testament that says there, there is a time for apprenticeship and then there is a text for partnership. Uh, and I think that's pretty much how the, the new Testament canon kind of served its purpose. So what I hear you saying is that the pattern has this aspect of um, like you, you kind of arrive. Like, so when I think of like in my life, um, I always wanted my dad and my grandfather's like respect. I wanted their approval. Sure. And then when they would tell me, Kyle, you were like, it was very affirming. Hey, you're one of us now you're in. It's like for a young person to hear that you're in is the most affirming sort of moment. And you almost kind of, kind of see people settle down yeah. once they find out that they're in and they belong and that their gifts are useful. What I hear you say is that to some degree is that we're, our ability to transition that affirmation has been barricaded. Like we, we, we didn't have the ability to transfer that. And so as a result of the next generation, not feeling affirmed, we've had some problems. Yeah. Um, what's that been like for you to try to triage? Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that that's helpful in helping people kind of move the needle a little bit is that we actually see Jesus doing it himself. Mm. <laughs> you know, the Last Supper discourse, when you break that down, has a gold mine of examples to follow. I mean, think, I mean, listen from, from the context of our con uh, conversation, listen to the words of Jesus in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I love this part. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my father's name, he will give it to you. This, these things I command you so that you will love one another. I mean, do you do you hear the 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 kicking out of the nest? Without I, question, you're no longer a servant, because up until now, that's all they they knew that, that hey, I'm a servant of the king, so I'm good with that. But I mean, all of a sudden, Jesus flips the lingo. I mean, just a little while ago, he told two of them to go get a donkey. And when you go to the, that, that guy with the donkey, take the donkey. And when he says, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? You tell that guy the master needs it. And then go, go, go get my, my food prepared. Go to the guy. You're going to see a woman with a jar on her head. Follow her. He's going to lead you to an upper room. Go in there and say, my master needs me to make preparations for the bait. Servants, right? Servant, servant, servant. But now, all of a sudden, Jesus is going, I don't know if you realize this, but you're no longer servants to me. You're my friends. And that is the handoff moment. You know, that is what you what you're saying is that we're we're not, I'm not making something up that uh that is just kind of convenient. This literally was the time when Jesus insisted that they accept this new reality. You're my friend. And of course, linguistically. You know, this is the same conversation that Jesus said, you know, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is very much engagement language, uh, as we know that uh, in the in the first century, you know, young man and a young woman, the dads kind of come together, you know, and uh, that was what a young man would say to a young woman about, hey, uh, I'm going to my father's house and I'm going to build a place for us. And when I'm done, I will come back to take you to be with me and we'll start a family. And he'd hand her the cup. And if she took the cup, it was on. But if she didn't take the cup, then she probably got lectured by her dad about how they're doing <laughs> Anyway, you know, but, you know but, but this is engagement language, which a bunch of young men would have understood perfectly. But then when he called them friends, he's literally saying, you're, you're like my best man. 
you, and you have all the responsibilities that go along with this wedding that's coming, you know, because the, the friend of the bridegroom, which John the Baptist called himself, is the one that goes to the opposite dad and says, hey, is there a chance there could be a love, con love connection between your daughter and my groom? You know, that friend, one of his roles was to defend the honor of, once they got engaged, to defend the honor of the bride and the groom. If there was ever an accusation against the bride or against the groom, it would be the friend of the bridegroom who would go and address that. You know, and then, of course, the friend of the, of the bridegroom, you know, they celebrated the nuptials. It was their job to make sure that the party was happening. That the bride was beautiful, that that purity and chaste, uh, uh, chastity was a part of that that thing that they literally had honored God through this time. And so, you know, for me, the the language of this is is really important. And what all that background information does, especially to the to okay, so we have a lot of distrust in our process. Yep. But when you look at it from this point of view. <clears throat> the sense that you know if we build into our our new system this vocabulary of i am going to walk with you as as a kind of a journeyman and apprentice would walk but that's only for a period of time our my goal is to give you everything i got so that you can be a friend of the bridegroom mm. so that you could go up to others and go hey is there a chance for a love connection between you and the groom that I represent? Wow. You know, that, that you could go and defend the honor of the bride if accusation should come. You could go defend the honor of the groom should anything have, because I represent in my behavior, in my body, I represent <laughs> what the groom is like, which again, you know, to, uh, to the perspective dad of some young man coming up on behalf of his, that, that how that, that friend of the bridegroom appears that's what you're going to judge the groom by, you know, I mean, it's so good. It's so, yes, you know, um, you know, and I think, and I think as we add this type of vocabulary to a, to a heart that wants to be like Jesus, that, that wants to see the church grow, you know, I tend to find that we can move past the triage uh, better. It's not, it's never easy because, you know, even as hard as I've tried to work, I still say things that I could see people's eye twitch and, you know, they have these, these triggers that come up. But I, but I think when we, when we add this kind of example of Christ, this, this, uh, this obvious connection to the master, this is how he did it, uh, then I think we also see like, wow. And he walked with these guys for three years on the long side of it. Uh, and uh, he was able to call them friends. They matured fairly quickly, even though, like us, they made a lot of mistakes. Um, and so I find a lot of courage in that. Well, I love it because you're, you're providing a reframe. Part of healing comes through perspective. And mm -hmm. we need a primer. But we also, one of the things you're very gifted at um, that I also aim to do is name things. Um, you... Darren Overstreet, you guys are, I mean, I have two people that come to mind are really good at naming things. Um, you're just really good. You're really gifted at providing a name. Um, I mean, part of anxiety comes through a lack of clarity. So when I can't yeah. name it, I can't even begin to work through it. But what you're doing is providing a reframe because we need a rebuild. I mean, we got to, I mean, if we think about building this, I mean, we got to go back to the base plate. And I feel like what you're saying is, and it's biblical, is that Jesus's idea was, um, based in brotherhood versus just servanthood yeah. and we're co-heirs i mean the bible calls us co-heirs with christ it's insane i know it's crazy co-heirs what which what? by the which by the way is the language of partnership just one of yeah that. and so uh what i'm hearing you say is that um to some degree we've taken this idea of discipleship and we've created a like a permanent like status of like a holding pattern and then what right. gets wrapped up into that is the lack of maturity and the people to develop. And when people can't develop and mature and they don't grow, they get, they get hurt and the resiliency right. isn't there. And so what I hear you doing is just creating a reframe for us. Um, you've, you've set a foundation that now the rest of my questions I think are going to go pretty 
pretty smoothly and quickly here. Um, you know, there's a lot of people like, so great example in our, I had a small group situation. I think I talked about this on another video, but I'd ask people, Hey, look, between coaching and discipling, why does it seem like coaching or even counseling is, is more appealing? Yeah. And people had shared, okay, well, I feel like with coaching or counseling, you know, that the person is there for you, that right. they're there to help you with what you want to work through. And they're there for your, I mean, they're there for your best interest, so to speak, but discipling feels like there's this agenda, this like sub agenda. And I want to get you to do something so that we can accomplish this, this goal over here. That's really not about you or about really about your good. And so there's this, these suspicions in terms of discipleship and, and I, I'm one of these people, I obviously believe in counseling. So I do for a living, but I also get concerned about the pendulum effect wherein people have replaced sure. discipling relationships with counseling. And I think there's reasons I'm not going to get into what I want to ask you, um, specifically when it comes to the culture that we're in, where you've got coaching and counseling, how do we create space and value for discipling? Yeah. And that is a fantastic question, you know, and because we do see that even in some efforts to try to just have discipling, but give it a different name. Um, and, uh, and I understand that. I think when, when the goal is not clear, there and we have a past that kind of goes well it's really easy to get off off target here and especially when it's not defined like what is the goal of discipleship well to be like jesus wow that that's real hard and we'll never arrive but what if the goal is to be a friend to to understand that you know what i want to get to the place where the master's business is all i want to know how to do uh, I, I want to, I want to serve the master, uh, and I want to be the friend that, that invites the, the, the future bride, the, the church. I want more people to come. I, I want to, I want to serve in a capacity that allows me to make sure that the bride is beautiful. You know, uh, like when I walk with people, I go, you know, one of the first steps towards maturity is when you walk into church, when we were able to all meet together, when you walk <laughs> into church, uh, when you walk into church and you ask, How's she looking today? How's she looking? Because we know on a wedding day, we, <clears throat> if, and I don't, I don't care if you're the grisliest, you know, most manly man. If you saw something wrong with the bride and you had a chance to kind of go, oh, girl, 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 wait, 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 wait. You know, like you got a smudge, you know, you would say something, you know, if there was something out of whack. I think, I think when we understand that the goal isn't the perfection of being like Jesus, being like Jesus is just what comes out of following him. Hmm. But my role in people's lives is to learn how to go from just being a servant, you know, obviously being a servant is great, but to start thinking like, man, I just, I love the master. I just want to do his will. I just want to do his bidding. Uh, and, uh, I want, and my role is to get them to that place uh, you know, as quickly as they can move, uh, and to do it with a lot of patience, you know, again, I think, I think one of the things that, that, uh, that do people do fear that, you know, that, uh, that discipleship kind of leads to only a certain level of leadership. Uh, I think, I think again, that we just need to make sure we clarify the, uh, the, the goal. You know, because again, this idea of being God's friend goes back to John the Baptist. It goes back to Moses. It goes back to Abraham. This is the pattern that has always been there. It wasn't meant for a select few. Right. It was meant for all of us. And so when, when I know that my goal is to, I want to give them as much of the master's business as they could handle. I want to walk them through how to how to how to navigate this and help them to read their Bible and get some life out of it and how to how to do that and some of the stuff very quickly will become I just want them to come follow with me you know instead of having that responsibility come follow me as I follow Christ that we kind of have this sober honest kind of kind of you know kind of awareness that hey man just come follow with us you know come I, I'm trying, I'm working on it too. 
but hey, here's the principle. Here's what we see in Christ. How do we, how are we navigate this? How can I help you navigate this? How can you help me navigate this? Um, and all of a sudden, when you have that type of partnership mindset, you know, you, you really can lift people up very quickly and they can take on more of the faith than, you know, just kind of checking off certain boxes. Uh, and, and so again, I think my answer to, you know, I love coaching. I think coaching's great. If you want to improve in a career, if you want to, you know, kind of grow as a preacher or grow as a, uh, as a counselor. I mean, obviously you, you get coached up, especially after you qualify on the academic side. I mean, that's part of it, but, but again, I think discipleship is kind of this whole life thing that, man, we're, we're, we're in the same business and I need you to be a partner because I want you in the boat so that I could be in my boat and we could go out there and do this together. And what you catch is, is as important to me as what I catch and what I catch is as important to you as what you catch. I mean, we're in this together, you know? And so, so, you know, again, I think that's, that's my goal. So the short answer to your question was, we just got to make sure that we have the right definition down. What is discipleship aimed at? I think the long answer is everything I said over the last three and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> long answers are welcome, my brother. I think <laughs> discipleship is a process, and I think coaching is specific in terms of an instance. So great example. Sometimes we think that God is judging us when he's really coaching us. And you sure. especially see this early on when Israel is in their primitive moments as a nation. Um, God is so patient in Exodus. It's unreal. People think that God just snaps off. Even in Genesis 3, 4, and 6, you don't see sin and th think until, or evil, and I think until Genesis 6. I mean, there's this evolution. And um, God is a coach. You know, discipleship is this process. We've sworn ourselves. We've sworn our allegiance to Christ. We're going to become image bearers. We have a new advocation. New vocation is an image bearer. Christ is the firstborn of a new race that we are now a part of. And my goal as an image bearer is to be a professional imager. That's my yeah. profession. What, what, do you, what, do, what do we do when we want to become a professional? Well, we get, we get training, we get coaching, we get, uh, you know, like if someone were to say, guess what? I'm going to Cornell or I'm going to Harvard. Oh my goodness. Like, oh wow. That, and, and so it's like, you know, we do have places where we honor people who are trying to excel at, you know, some sort of profession. Anyway, next question real quick. People have been stuck for a long time about things that have happened in the past. Sure. Um, and so let me, I do this pretty much every episode. I give like a spiel on trauma. Trauma is one of those things where it creates our, it creates an issue in our brains. Our brains want to create a beginning, middle, and an end to everything we experience. Trauma creates an issue with creating the end or the, the resolution. And where our brain uh, is not able to get resolution, it creates a reflex that becomes overdeveloped and then obsolete. So for a lot of people who have some sort of experience with trauma, they have the beginning and they have the middle that they live in. But that's unfortunate because that's where not just the what of what happened is, 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 is stored, but it's the intensity. Our brain doesn't just lock in the experience, it locks in the arousal and the intensity. And so for people, when it comes to discipling, when it comes to people who have been hurt by ministers, what you consistently find in my e-box, my email, email inbox attests to this, mm. that people typically get stuck in some sort of season. And what yeah. happens is, and I actually shared this with someone recently, um, because what I find is for people, when they leave a situation or when they're hurt and they, they stop maturing or growing or whatever it is, and they're just surviving, whatever it is that's happening, their ability to be able to assess that um, is, is frozen. In other words, I find oftentimes that there has been a lot of growth and change in different fellowships like ours. But for people who are stuck in the trauma, it's as if we are still, it's 2003. I'm yeah. just going to be very bold here. Some people are still in 2003, even if we are now struggling, we're struggling to get discipling, like people to buy into discipling. But for some people, because their trauma is so profound, they can't see that things have changed. And so I have compassion on that, like yeah, big absolutely. time. Absolutely. You are in the ministry, 
It's not like ministers don't get hurt either. And that seems at times to be missing from the whole narrative. Um, how, what are some ways that people can work through church hurts, especially when they involve ministers? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. As, uh, as one that has needed to, and rightly so, uh, apologize and we'll continue to try to remove every stumbling block possible. Um, I think, I think the, you know, one of the, uh, one of the burdens that we do face for those that really are stuck, like this may be the only episode of your show they won't watch because of the subject matter. Yeah. That's, how, that's how deep this, this wound is. Uh, I think for folks that really are struggling, I think you have to, they have to be steered back to, to the Holy Spirit and what Jesus is really doing in the scriptures. Hmm. Um, you know, because again, you know, the, the ministers were conditioned in certain ways and through a system that was really trying to evangelize the world in one generation, regardless of the cost and human collateral. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, the, and we, and every minister in that time was fully bought into that. That being said, there was things done, things said that just, you know, again, keeps you awake at night. You know, that, that sort of thing, you know, but for those that have stuck around and praise God, they had the faithfulness, the spirit, the, the toughness to be able to endure. I mean, I'm always like, when I really get a chance to minister to someone that has really gone through a lot or has perceived themselves in the stuck state, but has remained faithful, I'm just amazed and just like, wow, you're amazing. Uh, you know, but for those people to really move forward, you know, there's, there's always these, these steps you have to go through. There is that sense of kind of like, if, if someone could give you exactly what you need, what would it actually be? Mm. You know, because again, it, you know, it's, it, you've experienced that someone comes up and goes, realizes they've wronged you and they say what can i do to make it up to you and you really just kind of go nothing you know and if you've been apologized to you have to go that may be the most i ever get out of this situation you know and and for those that are really triggered by something you know like i'm not going back to a system that hurt me that bad you know amen but I, I, I think I think what what has to happen, especially in rebuilding trust, is number one, no, Jesus is still head of his church. Jesus is still the good shepherd. Jesus is still the one who is seeking after your soul and everyone else's soul. He's the one that has poured out a spirit. He's the one that has indwelled us with the spirit. And when you open your Bible with the intention of saying, Jesus, I want to be your disciple in a way that I can believe in. Please speak to me. And you turn to those gospels. Every time that, that something interrupts you as you're reading, that's the spirit answering that prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, every time you come across something that, that just kind of jumps off the page. That that's the Holy Spirit trying to minister to you. And almost always it's taking you back to someplace that is scary to go. You know, it, he's always going to be very gentle, but very direct, you know, when it comes to kind of like, okay, I, I want you to be reconciled to the body. This is the ministry of reconciliation that Paul talked about. You know, this is Sorry, reconciliation and thunder go together that's right. <laughs> is it's that so, thunder yeah that's thunder it's that's almost so dope it's almost as if god is going let me just amen that real quick yeah, yeah. buddy yeah so that's so cool <laughs> that was really cool uh, you know but but i think i think what uh what we have is a, just a real need to just kind of reconcile but reconcile with reality you know that that hey you know, again, no one can make up for the hurts that have been done in the past. And no amount of apologies is going to magically take away the scar. Mm -hmm. You know, 
but the call is still the same. And with wisdom and discernment, you could actually still feel that call upon your heart. That's why you've stuck around. You, you know that in your soul that the goal to make disciples, you, you still rejoice at every baptism. You know, you still, you still rejoice at everyone, you know, kind of growing up in the faith and choosing the Lord. You still rejoice over, over uh, people growing and being lifted up. And you, you, still, you still rejoice over the Bible being taught with excellence and fervor and, and all of that sort of stuff. So it's still there. I think, I think finding, finding the spirit in the same scriptures, you know, uh, go to the passages that maybe have been misused on you and go, okay, spirit, I'm going to read this and I want something to jump out at me that I need to pay attention to. And as you reread, you know, Luke 14 and counting the costs, as you reread, reread Luke nine, as you, as you reread some of the old passages that, that, that maybe have caused the most damage and you read them through the, through the eyes of mature, eager, like this is still your word. I am still your follower spirit speak. Something's going to interrupt you. And when it does, it'll lead you to a place that you need to go. And so I feel very confident in giving that advice, you know, uh, because again, I think ministers, you know, uh, speaking as one, you know, I, I, there may be some that had improper motives, but there were most that really were trying to do the will of God with what they knew how to do. And then when things fell apart, like a house of cards, you know, we were all left, you know, kind of scrambling to kind of figure out. So what does this mean? You know, we, we lost a decade Mm -hmm. where discipleship was not practice. So we get, you get, that person gets the opportunity to rebuild a, a new foundation upon which the right type of discipleship can be built. And I think my hope is to kind of add to that vocabulary, mm-hmm. because if we can have a more holistic approach that, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to, you know, so, you know, someone gets baptized, you know, I'm going to walk with this guy for at least a year, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be in his life. I'm going to, I'm going to help him. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to equip him. I'm going to teach him how to study the Bible. I'm going to teach him how to do this and, you know, just show him how to enjoy his relationship with God. I want him to, to grow in his marriage. If he's married, I want him to be marryable if he's not married, you know, I, I, or if he wants to be single and go, you know, go crazy and plant churches, I want to equip him. Uh, and as I walk with him, my goal is just to raise him up to be side by side. And let's just do this together. Apprenticeship for a time and partnership thereafter. Oh, I love uh, that. Apprenticeship to partnership. I feel like that encases the entire concept because people work in, you know, big concepts. Apprentice to partner. Oh, like, I mean, seriously, I feel like that just became like a framework for me, as you just said, apprentice to partnership. There's a lot of wounds around where that broke down. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I so appreciate just that seminal statement. I'll say this. I have to start outing myself more, you know, so people realize, man, I've, I've got trauma and I'm working through it. And I don't just talk about it. When I went back to seminary or went to seminary for the first time, I part of I think what motivated me uh, to out myself here a little bit is I had this this little catchphrase that I really believed and maybe there's a part of me that still does and it's if you don't have strong convictions then you'll be ran over by people who do and I had that in our movement like all right so I'm gonna go and learn Hebrew Greek and I'm gonna learn all this stuff and watch a boy watch i mean I, i'm yeah. gonna, i'm going to check you if you try to come i'm gonna, i got you i'm ready what i've learned since then is that uh need for protection is what i've really needed to address or focus on like let's deal with that cuz all the bible knowledge and all of that i don't know if we want to make that the goalpost then okay but for me where i've found peace is just through vulnerability vulnerability is a sword 
it's a it's, weapon, man. Vulnerability. You you can always be transparent. And what you see with people that are developing resiliency and my practice with people is that healthy people take risks. Yep. One of the diseased concepts that people have is that, well, I need to go into self-preservation mode. No, actually healthy people take risks. That's one of the signs of resiliency. Emotional, spiritual resiliency is that you can take risks and risks have a lot to do with faith. And mm -hmm. so um, for me, okay, let's, let's do this. Do you know the meaning of whatever it is versus vulnerability, which is, this is how I'm feeling, man. I'm feeling stripped. Yeah. I'm feeling helpless. When I talk to you leader, I feel I'm out of moves and I want to feel skillful around you, but I don't. Mm. And it freaks me out to tell you this, but this is how I've been feeling for a while. And I wish I would have talked to you sooner. So yeah. that's why I think conflict resolution is necessary. Yep. Sometimes it's not about will, it's about skill. <laughs> so we got to do that, but then we got to get in touch with, okay, there's a part of me that I've been maybe damaged by a, a leader, but let me not distract myself by going into another area and developing competence or some sort of self-protection. Sure. sure. Um, so anyway, I just, I appreciate everything. I feel like what you're saying briefly is you're just strengthening people. Like you're, you're like a, an Ezekiel, you know, you're strengthening an exile population. There's a lot of exiles out there. Uh, let's just do some practicals for people who they love scripture. They're realizing they have a spiritual gift of teaching. Sure. Um, what are some practicals for those folks? Yeah, I think uh, never lose sight of your role in the mission. You know, uh, usually teachers uh, have been equipped with a great deal of kind of, you know, one plants, the other waters. Mm -hmm. they're, they're typically more on the watering side, but, but don't forget to help the planting side also. Uh, don't forget that that your best gift to the world is to be an example that could also then take it deeper. Um, and you know, because again, I think one of the one of the allures uh, of it is that we we kind of leave like the only thing I do is water. And if you look at Apollos, that's not what he was doing. You know, now again. He kind of made life hard for all other first century preachers because it's like after Apollos, there are no good preachers. Right. So, <laughs> like, you know, uh, you know, again, I think uh, that was one thing I was like, I hope I'm never like Apollos, mm. you know, uh, where someone comes in after me and they're like, oh, well, you know, you can't do that. But but I think when you when we really do think about you know, the fact that uh, the teaching ministry is really just about watering what's planted, but every teacher is probably one of the best disciple makers. You, because again, you've, you've really studied, you've sat at the feet of the master. And so I would say, don't forget that joy you have of God's word. Don't forget to go share it with those that don't agree with you. You know, because again, that's going to keep you from jumping off the academic side and all your best friends being dead authors and, you know, all the only people that you can relate to are other people that have that genius level IQ, you know, and you, the, the average member you have a hard time even relating to because like, how could you not know this, you know? Um, but I think keep, keep your ministry grounded in, in the, in just the joy of casting a net you know don't forget that we we all get to share in this ministry we're all kind of involved in this and, you know and that's why i think for me you know uh my actual role is evangelist and teacher mm -hmm. uh i i haven't given up my evangelist hat thank and, you and and <laughs> and the real reason why is that i just feel like we have to we cannot be one or the other. We really do need to be both and. Uh, and I think, you know, because again, as we specialize, like you're a great example of this, is that you and your wife still love your neighbors. You're still, you know, someone comes to your church, you're one of the first to meet them. You know, you're still offering hospitality. You're still in the mix. Now, again, your gift to the church 
is the fact that you can add a lot of water to some areas that have been very, very dry. And I think for young teachers, we need, that's what we need to emulate. I, I want these young guys to, and gals, <laughs> get the gals in here. You oh. know, I, I want these young guys and gals to grow in their expertise because that's just going to make us more awesome, you know, but also don't forget that the great joy of just helping the people that you've run, come in contact with, of helping other people study the Bible with people. All of that cements your ability to water the seeds that have been planted because you yourself also share in that ministry. And I think, and I think again, that's that for me, just on the practical side of it is, you know, uh, don't forget to, to just plant seeds that need to be watered. Now, again, your gift is going to water all the seeds, but don't forget to plant some seeds that need to be watered because that's really going to help you to, uh, to just be one of those one of those trusted members of a leadership team. I love it. I appreciate the both and, and it is not an either or. I I, I think my I'm going to have you back on, and we're just going to chop it up around just theological issues. I think one of mine is that I no longer am looking at individual um, evangelism the same way. In fact, I think that. Uh, the way I look at evangelism, which there's a lot of hurt around numbers and evangelism. There's a lot of scar tissue. For me, I'm thinking about the community witness. Oh, yeah. That's what I see in, in the New Testament, um, especially in Acts and, and so forth. But yeah, I, this individual, I, I, I don't even think that we're as strong when we push individual evangelism. Personally. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I mean, think, you know, honestly, one of the things that that's hard you know again you want to share your faith right <laughs> but man there's so much when i meet people i'm like i can't wait for you to meet my brothers and sisters there you go yeah you know it's just like you know again i you know i because again as an evangelist i'm like i really want you to actually talk to people about some real stuff because everyone gets invited to a lot of things but i get it because and especially in a world as crazy as ours, as racially divided as ours, as politically divided as ours, you know, I, I just kind of want to grab my brother who's way right, my sister who's way left, and kind of go, look, they're not even the same color. We all love each other. You That's know, right. <laughs> uh, you know, and because again, I think the communal witness is great. And I think the church does better. I mean, I think. I think small is the new big, small park services where you can invite neighbors to come meet your people, you know, having, having people in our home. I mean, one of the great, uh, great joys of being in St. Louis is that I get to be in St. Louis events and uh, boy, you know, we, we are, we are definitely the opposite ends of the, of the color scale. We're the opposite ends of a lot of things that, that we think. And we just love each other. And it's just so much fun. And when we're out together, people, you know, when we talk to people together, you know, like just yesterday is a great example. And we are our waiter, young man, you know, we started talking him up and say, man, you got to come. But because of our witness together, he takes it more, he took it way more seriously, you know, because he, here, here are two people, you know, I can just tell by the way they talk. These aren't from the same cloth. You know, forget how we look, but just even how we approach life. And man, you know, again, I think this is true of disciples anywhere. Usually there's more laughter. Usually there's a little bit louder, especially Vince and I. We're loud. We <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, we love a good time. But but again, there is something when we share together. Kind of another story. The staff was out. We were celebrating somebody's birthday. I, I think it might have been Ronnie's. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're all there and our staff in St. Louis is a mixed bag of fruit and nuts. You know, we, we got all types and, uh, we invited our waitress and she cried. We we're like, uh Oh, did we say something? You know, but what it was is that she was alone mm. and the, 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 <laughs> the things that she has witnessed on the news, she was seeing the exact opposite at, at this table. And so, again, I do think disciples being together and going out and evangelize, I agree with you. 
sort of like individual evangelism is a necessary. Your love for people should drive it. Your love for Jesus should drive it because Jesus loves that fool, even if you don't, uh, you know, but, but I think when you get the opportunity and you're in your Bible talk and you just evangelism just hasn't been something your Bible talks really, you know, done a lot of, or, you know, you just kind of have those, we're very good, you know, with our relationship with God. We're really good with our relationship with each other, but not necessarily so good with our relationship with those uh, that are out there. Just take your Bible talk and go because mm-hmm. the diversity of opinion, the, the, the joy that comes from the, just the familial feeling, you know, that you don't even realize anymore because you've been in it for so long. But the familial feeling that you bring to someone and you invite them to join you. I mean, that's why Levi left the booth. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's why that's why Peter dropped the nets. You know, this is this is why, you know, I mean, th- I mean, it's centered around Jesus. But, you know, man, you have Simon the Zealot. How, why would he join this? He just couldn't deny what he was seeing. You know, the, no none of those guys should have been together in the same group but they 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 were and so you know again i think i think that's the uh that's the call and i agree i think evangelism you know is uh is one of those topics that again if you're gonna twitch that's probably gonna be one of the the twitching points uh but if you really do think about it as and just look at who's you who you're around that you call brother and sister if that group were to go out somewhere together how much impact would it have? It would, it would be huge. And it's, I mean, I, I love everything you're saying and I, it's, it's affirming that it's coming from a church leader, a teacher, an evangelist, someone who's ministered for many, many years. It, you know, I mean, the research is very clear that um, it's typically the senior pastor, but pastors have, the influence in churches. I mean, the lay person who, you know, can say something that, you know, creates a pause, it's not the same as a pastor. And so I appreciate you saying this because, um, you know, you're going to say some stuff today, Bill, that's going to reach someone that needed to hear it and who's been stuck and wounded. Um, and you know, who knows, man, it may even do more than that. So I, I appreciate you coming today real quickly. Any upcoming announcements, anything that, uh, you're excited about? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'm excited about, uh, you know, my, I, I kind of, thanks to Vince, uh, I kind of pulled out the old dissertation, blew it up, because I actually had a physical dissertation, kind of tells you back when I did it. Uh, you know, we didn't turn in digital things. We had, <laughs> you know, and mine was so big, I had to use a, one of those big spiral things and kind of dropped it. Uh, but uh, Vince really encouraged me to kind of to kind of dress it up, repackage it, um, you know, because, again, it was one of those things as he was getting to know me. He was like, wait, have you taught this in a workshop or anything? I was like, no, not really. I've just, you know, kind of everywhere I go, this is what I try to do. And so he really encouraged me to put it in a workshop format. And as I was doing that, it really kind of turned out to be this would be a great formation of uh of a book that i think could provide a lot of the things we got a chance to talk about but with a little bit more depth but not necessarily dissertation depth because you know again when you write a dissertation especially for a doctorate you're not writing for joe christian you're you're writing for three people who are so in the clouds smart that you're you know you're trying to reach them and convince them you know that this is the way so you know to, to be able to kind of distill it down after, uh, after many years and get it, getting it into a book. Uh, the book will be called Disciple-er uh, because it'll be talking about the, the foundation of being a disciple and what it really, what it really means to be a discipler. Uh, the idea, though, is just this big picture pattern of, of laying down our lives uh, for the sake of someone else, following Jesus. <laughs> Uh, creating an apprentice to partnership model uh, and really just imitating the kind of the things that we know, but didn't know we know. Uh, and uh, so again, I'm, I'm excited for that to come out. Uh, it's something that uh, the workshop has been uh, pretty well received. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be able to share that through, through a book. So now publishing date, I don't know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, I want to make sure that everything that, that, uh, that I, that I now right now is at least on the editing level of my past work, uh, you know, so, but, uh, I'm excited for that to come out sometime soon. Well, I definitely will be in line to order it. Uh, the things that you've shared today, I think, are essential. And we have to redevelop um, for the next generation. And part of what you're going to do, I think, is going to be something that the next generation can really build on. But I'm grateful for today. Uh, I, I get a chance to see you monthly. I call you probably every other week, maybe sometimes every week. Uh, you continue to give me advice and man, I, you know, I can't tell my story at least at this point without you. And I appreciate you. And I'm going to say this to you. And I say this to all my guests that we are with you and God is for you, my brother. Amen. Amen. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for, you know, having me on, but uh, thank you for our friendship. I mean, it, it is, you know, again, you know, God just puts people in your life when you do stuff for him. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's always interesting that the, the great benefits of any risk that you take for God is that you will be rewarded with a hundred times more friends, a hundred times more, more blessings. Uh, and you definitely have been that and to watch your ministry grow, uh, over the last, uh, two years to, to watch it, you really becoming such an important voice, uh, into this area that we were so, you know, again, we're just blind to what we don't know. And to that God would have you for such a time as this. Uh, one of the great joys in my life right now is the fact that God, you know, gave us that little heartland circle and watching you guys start to grow and develop in, uh, with skills that is going to bless thousands. So thank you for having me on and thank you for allowing me to be part of that journey. Absolutely. Well, if you've been with us through the entire video and this one's going to be a longer one, but I don't mind, uh, I thank you so much. Uh, this concludes our Midwest May with the Ministers series. It's been an honor. Please go on my channel or you can go on my website and check that out. Please also continue to like, subscribe, and share. The channel continues to grow literally every day. And I have to thank everyone who is continuing to watch and share. And I, I'm, I am humbled. I'm honored. Um, and you can go to my website, truthtraumatheology.com. If you want to get in contact with me, it's Kyle Spears at truthtraumatheology.com. And I will see you guys next time. Peace.